Hey listeners, this is Marsha Epstein in Lawrence, Kansas on Talk With Me. Thanks for listening. This show is being recorded. Yes, that's what we do. It's like, what's that word? Yeah, we record shows so that you can listen to them whenever you have a great time to do that. Um, this is September 14th. This is so amazing to me that it's the middle of September in 2017. So I look at some things that have been going on and things coming up kind of amazed, kind of amazed. Um, today's show comes to us courtesy of, <laughs> this is going to sound funny because this is my podcast, but actually it's related to KKFI, Community Radio in Kansas City, the show called Art Speak, and the lovely Maria Vasquez Void. We are sharing some guests, and she has introduced me to this person and we are going to be recording this show for your listening pleasure. And to me, it's a great thrill in part because I, I think Maria is the bomb. And here comes the police. <laughs> and, and I'm one of those people who laughter is an important part of every single day, every single day. I periodically post a little meme I created that says, without laughter, we explode. And that's just not pretty. And I totally believe that. I believe that to the extent that I host a, an event every year on World Suicide Prevention Day, which is September 10th. That doesn't sound very funny, does it? Well, part of the event is comics, as well as poets and storytellers and musicians. And part of the event is a drag performer whose niche is kind of 80s comedy music performance. Great stuff. We ended Word Save Lives on World Suicide Prevention Day laughing and clapping and dancing and having a blast with Ms. Amanda Love. So I'm just saying, laughter is so important to me. And I want to give a shout out to my son, Raph Thompson in Portland, Oregon, who does stand-up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have in Portland, find Raph sometime. He's great. Anyway, today my guest is... Dick Tracy? Stacey. No, Rick Stacy. <laughs> See, he told me how to say his name, so I had to put that in there. <laughs> Welcome, Rick Stacy. <laughs> Hi, and I'm not Dick Tracy, as a matter of fact, but although I've been confused because I look so much like him. So, hi, thank you for having me here this morning. I'm really glad to do this. Oh, my pleasure. I lied to you when I said I don't have any questions I always ask because I always ask my guests to, to tell us a little bit about themselves. Okay. So that didn't come out as a question, but it was kind of. <laughs> okay. Will you please? Yes, I certainly will. Uh, I'm a storyteller. I'm an artist and a writer. And that became uh, well known to me at a very early age when I had this compulsion of sharing stories. Because I had a story that had no ending that just took me out the day after my seventh birthday. Now, I come from Oh, yeah. I curve, this is going to be like therapy. This would be great. <laughs> I come from the halcyon days of, of the classic days of television. And I was a fan of a TV show called The Adventures of Superman. Okay. And a lot of people know that still on me, TV, et cetera. I was there for the first run. I was so impressed by that show, that TV show. Mind you, I'd never seen a comic book. But I would sit there watching this TV show starring George Reeves as Superman. I would tuck that little towel in the back of my shirt. Like I'm, yes, for our listeners at home, I'm gesturing right now. And I would do great things because if you believe in yourself, you could do anything. That's true. Yes. So I jumped off the garage and bit through my oh. tongue. Oh, I'm not done. I did it twice. 
Okay. I learned that lesson. <laughs> but as a kid that was so idealistic that like those morality plays. The day after my seventh birthday, when my mom said, go and get the newspaper and bring it in here. And I, okay. I saw a photograph of George Reeves in, in the Superman suit, a promotional photo. Again, I'd never seen a comic book. And I ran and I said, Mom, pop the string off the newspaper. It's super, they're really, there's a connection. It's reality. Pop it's the great. string off the newspaper. People are going, what? Yeah. It was tied. Not it was tied. Not even bagged or ever been. No, and I know it's the next paper boy. So <laughs> I grew up doing that. But uh, she took it. She said, okay. And I'm still probably buzzed on birthday cake from the day before. <laughs> the place is probably still a mess with party hats and balloons and junk all over the floor. And she took it and she popped the string off it. And I said, Mom, what does it say? Because was he sighted? Was he sighted in Kansas City? Did he miss my birthday? And she said, oh, honey. And the way she said this came out like a 96-point type in my mind. Superman killed himself. Okay? Bear with me. All the magic drains. Everything drains. Larger, mightier powers drain. Nothing. Immediately, there's no Santa Claus. The magic is gone. And it destroyed me and it did countless thousands of thousands of little children too. Uh, check out the movie Hollywood Land with Ben Affleck, who played the role of George Reeves. And I was so distraught with this unfinished story and this loss of good and heroism and moral compass. Went back to my little room. I was a little kid, so I had a little room. And I had a notepad of papers that my dad brought home from the office and pencil and I started drawing stick figures like this. I started continuing the stories and it's obsessed with that and I did not stop drawing and I did not stop drawing. And I drew and I drew and I told stories and made up stories to the point that I went to work for DC Comics as an illustrator. Not to date myself, but I will. 1970. Moved up there to uh, go to work for Marvel Comics, DC Comics, all the superheroes and their morality plays cool. where the good guys you win at the end. And uh, uh learned to come back home and study some more. But I initiated relationships to where I became a freelancer in the superhero realm for DC and Marvel comics. I also worked for Disney and I also worked for uh, Looney Tunes and, and rather Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes and Tiny Tunes for Steven Spielberg. So all these stories, I can't Ooh, stop. stop. Can't, yeah, it's fun. And, and uh, uh, all these stories come up and, and essentially when I was doing Looney Tunes and Tiny Tunes, they were being translated for international markets. And so when I would get my comp copies of the ones that were in Spanish or Swahili or what have you, I couldn't read it. But I thought if some little kid reads this at night, completes their day with a bit of a giggle or a smile, I'm a happy guy. Yeah. Well, the storytelling went from there to corporate America, which paid for the house. And uh, I did advertising and marketing as a senior creative director. But through all the the bits of corporate business and what have you and you know two pushing square in kansas city and the big uh, fancy ivory towers that we had there i would sit in my, my meetings with my staff we talk about third quarter sales and we're going to move into this market we're going to mexico with 214 stores we can do that and then i started writing last night i dined with frankenstein and courier and eyes discussing thus and much and such how significant were our lives and these Things started and they never stopped. <laughs> and I did this. I appear at comic cons and, and I have friends now that were little kids that would come by the table and get a sketch. Now they're grown ups. And one gentleman said, why don't you write your memoirs for you get really old and die? <laughs> and I thought it makes me feel like I'm going to get really old and die. 
And I said, I don't want to do that, but if I have a story to tell, it'll be a compilation of these silly little stories and things I'll spiff up. And I published on a modest scale with modest acclaim because I'm a modest person. And, and people like that, they say, you know, I really enjoyed your poetry. I'd love to hear your voice sometime because I do voice work and they want an audio version. And, you know, it's tough to open the book and read sometimes. You just, you know, slide this in your earbuds and go nuts. So I kept writing and writing and writing and some musical things too. And I released a two CD set called Talking to Myself to You. The book was called Funny You Should Ask, Musings in Verse for Better or Dot, Dot, Dot. And I thought, I'm not done. I'm having fun with this stuff. And I, at the point, I want my art out there. And I want to be known, because I'm very thankful for the comics gigs, but I want to be known as having my, my own stories to tell with my own heroes and villains or just commentary. And so I started to perform, much with the support of Maria Vasquez Boyd, and I do uh, open mics and I do my own little shows. I did a two hour special on Art Speak. And I keep writing and writing. And as I'm writing, I'm finding there's things that are very funny in there and things that are done with different celebrity voices. You know, I've got a bit of a bonus call off or John Travolta or things. Then some more serious commentary, the commentary. And then, honest to goodness, some autobiographical stuff biographical laughical stuff sneaks <laughs> like his head it. in there. There you go. And you think that's me. That's how I feel. That is a part of my essential id and spirit. And that brings me here today to just share this artwork. Uh -huh. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm long winded too. You, you might, <laughs> you might see there. Well, I'm listening and, and really appreciating what you're saying. And, and then I'm thinking, if you don't already know, I'm going to introduce you to John Shukart, who's a KC guy who does mental health advocacy through humor. Outstanding. And he has a book that the original title was, They're Going to Crack You Open Like a Chicken, because <laughs> that was something his lovely father said to him when he was a tiny child getting ready for surgery. Oh, my. Holy smoke. <laughs> Anyways, anyway, I you know I, I know that humor is healing, and there are all these different threads for me. One of the poets in this area who I adore is a man named Dennis Etzel Jr., who writes wonderful poems uh, related to his experiences of different kinds. And one day when we were talking about you know where did his his interest in poetry and kind of gift for words come from, his his basic response was comics because reading comics reading the themes in comics and, and the way there's small amounts of dialogue because the way it's set up helped him really focus on doing a lot with short amounts of words, you know, really sure. packing a lot of meaning. Sure, things. sure. Comics are hugely important. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these little morality plays and drawn out dramas that come as now they're graphic novels, you know. I know, yeah. you know what, and I'm the dummy who like, I'm, I hear this piece on NPR and then, like, I want to read that book, and I go to my library, and I look to find it, and it's like, adult graphic novel. And I'm thinking, does that mean it's really sexual? <laughs> what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. Violence is sexual? Yeah. It's like, oh, no, that just means it's illustrated in that way. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Sorry. <laughs> well, and it's very interesting because uh, coming out of the Kefauver hearings back in the 50s, there were a lot of people that were concerned about comics being responsible for juvenile delinquencies. Weird. Yes, and they were going to shut them all down. Get them all out, and and uh, 
There no were, rock and roll music, no dancing, no right. comics. And okay, got it. I don't need it, and you don't either. So, <laughs> bye, George. But the Comics Code Authority was formed by the publishers at that point to say, let's make sure we don't show the following visuals. And, and it was appropriate because your readers were 8 to 12. Uh -huh. And blood and guts and the other things that you know come to mind. And to watch the wordsmithing, et cetera, et cetera. And that worked just well until comics started to mature in the late 60s and early 70s. And controversial issues like the Spider-Man drug issue. That's a great story. I read it when I was probably a senior in high school. I thought, there's some real meat and fiber and contemplation and discussion points that should come from this. But you can't talk about drugs because of the Comics Code Authority. So away went the Comics Code Authority. That opened the door to perceptions of what was appropriate, what wasn't. I must say, I get asked to do drawing demonstrations for um, grade schools and junior highs and, and scouts and this. And I'll go draw. As you said, yes. Because we were talking about drugs a minute ago. I said, wait, he's going to do drugging? No, no <laughs> I'm sorry. I meant, I meant draw, draw away. <laughs> see, my tongue got in the way of my eye teeth and I couldn't see what I was saying there. So. Oh. Oh. I worked on that for a while. But I'll go up to the chalkboards or whatever, and I'll say, here's a circle, and boom, 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 now it's Batman, or it's Popeye, or Charlie yeah. Brown. This I used to teach. And parents are saying, we need to get some comics for the kids, and this will be swell. It's like, time out. They are all not at all access and family friendly. So before you give this to the kid and get shocked and surprised yeah. because of the levels of sophistication and maturity, or just out and out, horrible, horrible, violent, sexually explicit stuff, look through it first. And the big deciding factor on comics is when I bought them, they were a dime and then 12 cents and 15 cents. Now they're $4.99, about the same page count or less of entertainment. So you know, be a good customer, but do realize what you're bringing home may not be appropriate. So like anything else your kid's going to see, check it out first. Mm -hmm. Good point. Good point. And you you continue to be present at Comic Cons. Yes, like that. I'm very fortunate to to be a guest at uh, Planet Comic Con and at uh, Casey Comic Con coming up in November, with a list and litany of uh, comic related movie people and TV people and other great artists and writers. And it is so much fun to have created long lasting friendships with. Yvonne Craig, who passed away, she was Batgirl on TV show, the Batman TV uh -huh. show. Or Julie Newmar, who was Catwoman. Yeah. Margot Kidder, who was Lois Lane in the Superman flicks. Um, and I could go on and on, sounding like name dropping. And I guess it really is. But it's it's just so, so great to have that richness of that pop culture. And then get to know some of the people. Yvonne Craig, Batgirl from 1966 TV show Batman. And I would talk from time to time. And she succumbed to breast cancer a couple of years ago. But you don't, you don't always talk about comics and TV. Just talk about life. Mm -hmm. And we would visit. And I came home one time from a vacation. And the phone rang. And I picked it up. And I said, hello. And she said, my, but you're gruff today. <laughs> and I said, Yvonne, because she did age. Yes. And she says, I want to know if you found the, the right doctor for your wife's thyroid. No, I came in. I've got one in Florida. And you should think about flying down. What a sweetheart yeah. to talk about these things and to be so kind. Noel Neal, who was Lois Lane in the Superman TV show, uh, we started hanging in 1980. And the, the wealth of conversations that came from 
and I'll be very careful of my language with things she called Bing Crosby, who, dis <laughs> who discovered her. She, That's rat. <laughs> but all tales she would tell, including letting me know that she could not confirm that George, George Reeves, killed in the cell. Uh -huh. A lot of controversy about him being snuffed by Eddie Mannix, who was a VP and part of the mob. And of course, if you've seen O.C.'s or, or uh, um, Hollywood Land, you'll know about Eddie Mannix in that time back in the golden days of Hollywood, that uh, if you weren't on the right side of stuff, you're going down and you're going out. And the stories are scary. And I personally believe it's more of, an, of a chance that George was stuffed by, by Eddie Mannix because he had a long affair with his wife, which Eddie sanctioned. But George broke up with her. And there's your whole list and litany of things right there of craziness. Yeah. But anyway, the stories that come are so interesting. Some of them fold into some of my writing, too, about reality and, and uh, perceptions of what is and what isn't when it comes to these tales, so. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I was just looking at your Facebook page before we started. And I hope I smile for my pictures. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I was interested in things, and like, you were at the Uptown Arts Bar on Monday night for an open mic. Yes, and, I was. Yeah. I had the best time. I always do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did a few pieces, some newer pieces, and uh, some of them are very thoughtful about unsettled feelings. And this stuff just comes out, you know. Uh -huh. Another one was about my dear, dear friend, part of the arts community in Kansas City, who had a comic book store where we all met when we were kids and, and uh, uh, would see him often. You buy comic books and you talk about comic books and all the kids from Kansas City Art Institute come in and talk about graphic arts and Wycom tablets and stuff. It was a, a culture that was there that grew from that into art shows and, and uh, support for local arts community. And the manager was Jim Cavanaugh, one of my best friends. The 50th anniversary of Clint's Comics is like right now. Good. And we celebrated it at the Planet Comic Con. But what really takes me to a point of emotion is that Jim was killed in a senseless homicide. Senseless. The last weekend in May by a choplifter who came in, ravaged stuff, took off. Jim went out and said, do the right thing. You know, the guy got in his car, spun the car around, opened the door, hit Jim, knocked him way up, oh, hit the ground. And after a series of successive heart attacks and bleeding out pretty bad from the wound, this guy killed one of my best friends. Oh. And I, I read a piece that I wrote for Jim there. Uh -huh. uh, to this day, they haven't found the fellow. They've got this man his vehicle and the first three numbers of the license plate filmed. It's every place. But we've heard nothing about the guy that uh, that killed a store owner, one of the essential uh, people in KC of the creative community for about $20 yeah. worth of merchandise. So yeah. point being this, I read some stuff there. I did a thoughtful one. I did one for Jim. I did a silly one. I like these silly ones. Yeah. My wife is a hygienist in the dental profession. I'm hearing her talk about her day and a young uh, a tweener named Tracy is coming in and they're going to check Tracy's braces. So Tracy's braces stays in my mind and I go upstairs. I start writing a piece called Tracy's braces and it's just so cute. <laughs> and I uh, did that and, and 
done more writing this week. So it's something that when it starts, it doesn't stop. And I love it. I think I might have told you in, in one of the misses back and forth. I don't wake up in the morning and say, today I'm writing about loneliness. I'm writing about despair. I'm writing about transgender. I'm writing about the stuff comes to you. But the pieces, maybe some you've heard or haven't had the chance, at the end would all focus on do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or the greatest advice I've ever gotten from the wisest person in the world, my wife, <laughs> who said since we were teenagers, hey, be nice. Yes. And you think, that's it. That's it. But you mentioned comedy. And I really think that comedy for all of us as diverse, in many cases, divisive as we might be right now, comedy is a common denominator and a diffuser. And if I can get you to diffuse humorlessly for a moment, we might find more common ground. There's more commonality if we would just stop and think and listen. So I use comedy as a diffuser. I think it's in my DNA. And, and I know comedy, like all art, has become controversial as, as different types of comedians use their, their comment, comedy to make statements about sure. the current yeah. administration. And a, and a lot of people do that. Everybody finds their own voice and finds their own audience. My biggest inspiration in comedy, dare I say poetry, my hero in life, okay, as I was a little kid, I had a lovely nun tell me when I was 10 years old, young man, get your nose out of those comic books and get yourself a real book to do your book report on. <laughs> so I grabbed a paperback out of the library called, and this is an essential to me, Mark It and Strike It. <laughs> it is the autobiography of Steve Allen. And I will tell some of our listeners, Google him. He has 8,500 songs in the Guinness Book of Records that he wrote. He was an activist, a novelist, a playwright. He invented nighttime TV as we know, The Tonight Show. And I read that book, which led me to his next book called Rye on the Rocks, W-R-Y, his poetry. And then uh, went from there to his books on cognitive success in life wow. and a book called Dumpth, D-U-M-B-T-H, Golden Days of Hollywood, all these things. So I just I milked all that, but I learned from him what I applied to myself. There's a way to be humorous so nobody's damaged. Uh -huh. There's a way to be humorous that's a diffuser. There's a, like he said, if you see somebody on TV in the old black and white movies slip up an appeal and falls, like, oh, in real life, that's not funny. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that in real life. And I work to never work blue. Uh -huh. So I have my own uh, um, list of words that I think are all access family friendly, you know, yeah. and I do a lot of controversial stuff on here or people wouldn't cry sometimes. Uh -huh. uh, but I, I, it's not necessary for me. And I, I don't do that there. And I think maybe I get a wider grasp of people to listen and then think and uh, enjoy my work. So Steve Allen, I met him a month before he died up here oh, wow. cool. at the lead center. Very cool. And I saw the show he was in, and I made it backstage by uh, divine providence. And I sat down with him like this, uh -huh. and he let me just be me for about 45 minutes. Uh -huh. At the end of the conversation, he stood up because he said, I'm overwhelmed. Kind of like you were when I approached you. <laughs> Look, here's everything in the world. Marcia. Oh, boy, just pick something quick. And uh, 
he listened to me talk about the poetry and quote some of it, his biography, the fact that he and my former editor at DC Comics back in the 50s worked in close proximity to the NBC cafeteria. And Steve would be going with his group to lunch. And my editor, Julia Schwartz, thought just like God bless Julia Schwartz, said, Steve, you look just like Clark Kent. I'm going to put you in the comic books. Which he did. And I had a copy of that old uh, series of strips, and I gave it to Steve Allen. But then in a conversation, he, he shook hands with me. He kind of faltered because he had a real bad sciatic situation going on. And turned around, and he said, can I have your address? And I said, sure. And, he said, and your phone number? I said, sure. This is like a Tuesday night. Uh-huh. Saturday, we go to the big communal mailboxes. He's got a box this big in there. I'm gesturing really big, folks, if you can't see my hand. <laughs> so, he sent me books. Chokes me up mm-hmm. with post-its on them. It said, to Rick. In real scratchy, scratchy granddad writing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He sent me a homemade, and may I say executed very amateurishly, but it's from the heart. Uh-huh. Cassettes of his music. Oh, you get the wow. same song twice, you know. Or you get 10 seconds of nothing, then you get a Robert Goulet version of something. But this is my hero. So yeah. uh, uh, I sent him a lot of Kansas City barbecue, threw it uh, out there. And I did an illustration. He loves Superman. I did an illustration of Superman flying like this and uh-huh. Steve on his back uh, with his man on the street hat, holding his hat and his microphone, because Steve did that on the old Tonight Show. My wife yelled upstairs. She said, are you, are you going to mail that tomorrow? I said, I keep it one more day. I'm just going to clean up some of the erasures. The next day he died. Oh. So I met him in two, October 2001, I believe. And he died after he brought his grandkids home from Halloween oh. in the neighborhood. So That's aren't these lovely. musings just terribly interesting They're to you? They're fabulous. Thank you. You know, they really, yeah, it's really touching It's in so many ways. And I, I'm... I feel honored that you chose to contact. Oh, I thank you. Let's reciprocate that. I'm I'm, uh, humbled by the chance to talk with you about these issues. It's fun to crack a joke and it's fun to have cursory conversation. But when we can talk about the, the, the fabric that brings us all together in our, and it is all of our humanity and how to find common threads and how Mm -hmm. to patch the damages. Yes. And how to still maintain that one fabric. That's kind of what all this stuff leads up to. So crack a joke here and there, that's swell. But when you can talk about these other issues, I think timing, well, all that there is right now is a chance to get this out there with everybody. Before we get so old and die, we can't do it. Yeah, who was that to have? (laughs) We don't necessarily get to get old. That's (laughs) one of the things I tell people. So do every day things that you want to do. Absolutely. That's my credo. I do believe that too. You got a day, what can you do to think, to share, to change? Mm -hmm. A lot of changes have to have to happen in our own thinking. I have a little piece in there about that uh, uh, too called different thoughts. Different thoughts between some friends means sometimes that a friendship ends. I hope that's not the case. I can't replace your space. And it goes on a a, a wee bit more than that, but those are the kind of things you'll find. And I will say that when I um, as as you know, in Primark Changes, um, you, you sent me some pieces, and when I saw the title of a piece that related to a transgender person, yeah, I was a little concerned by the title, by the title. Sure. Yeah. 
and and that comes from from my you know personal connection to having some good friends who are trans, doing work with kids who are trans and gender nonconforming and knowing how anything that that becomes misgendering or poking fun at can be one of those things that fuels somebody spiral down to attempting suicide. So, right. so I'm, I'm, I get really like rigid, fearful about those things. Understandable, and I, and understandable. I listened to your piece and it was so delightful. Thank you so yes. much. That and melts me, kiddo. Yeah, that really does. Thank it, you. It, it's beautiful, and and what it it brought me back to that old set of I don't know if it was a CD or what, how it was produced, but Marla Thomas, "Free to Be." Yes, me. absolutely. And, and and so so one of the things, if you haven't already, that I think would be so cool is if you put together a set of pieces that are for kids, just like that stuff. You know? I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, again, there's so many things in here that are applicable to children and children's tales. One is called The Frog in the Fog and the Rock in the Block. And I feel very Danny Kay about this when I do this. For those of you who don't know who Danny Kay is, Google him. <laughs> but uh, it, it's a little play, morality play about the frog and the rock. Frog says, you don't do not. I mean, it's written in verse here. But it's like, Would you like do? to do the whole piece? Well, I can do that. I can do that. Or I can do partial martial and halfway Herschel. Whichever. You May can. I do partial martial and halfway Herschel? Because everything you said, and look at the goosebumps. <laughs> Those at home can't see these little goosebumps on my tan but hairy little arm. Um, I feel the same way. A lot of that is because the openness my generation had during the Woodstock generation. Okay, we'll say Woodstock times. Uh, let's just be open. Come on, let's listen a bit. Let's kind of be cool about this. No reason that you think that, no reason to set your hair on fire. It progresses nothing. It just destroys you and other people in the aftermath. But uh, if you can, I'd like to do partial Martian halfway Herschel for you because it's close to my heart and I have it marked right here in my little black right. book. I'm going to do it just like I do at the Uptown Arts Bar. And I'll find page 35 because these are in numerical order. At some point. <laughs> Great thing about numbers. I, I like that. Isn't it funny the way the alphabet is in alphabetical order? That one's harder than numbers for me sometimes. Though. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you. This came to me from real life with a person that mentioned a transition. And I think I'll, I'll let this speak for itself. Partial Marsha and Halfway Herschel were watching a Viagra commercial when one said to the other, hey, my sister's now my brother. My aunt is now my uncle. And yes, it's aunt, not aunt. It's plaza, not plaza. <laughs> my aunt is now my uncle. You want to spit a dunkle? That's German lager. But both thought it so queer. No, not in that way. As they shared another beer. You see, class? Life has given some false starts, but we're more the sum of all our parts. For what we really need to show is what is in our hearts, you know. And that's the basis for appraisal. Not that you're Herman or you're Hazel. It seems we've lost simplicity of what makes up you and makes up me. Whose skin is really in the game when rendering a gender? No sides need to politicize, to advance, or to surrender. So in the meantime, whether he or she, judge not, my friend, M-Y-O-B. 
different strokes for different folks, and so on and so on and scooby dooby dooby. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's right from the heart, kiddo. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And uh, I, I find different thoughts right here. Uh, when I started, may I start this too? Sure. Is is um, adversarial. This controversial thoughts can be perceived right now. And everybody, every let's all take all, all of our masks and let's share it. And if you got real masks on, I don't care what the and hoods, take them off. Get them off. Let me see your face. Let me talk to you. It, it, it's a, 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 a bit uh, dicey. Well, let's talk. Let's take the this is the conversation down and let's exchange conversation. Let's don't talk to find talking points and attack back. Let's talk to stop, think, and have more conversation. Because if we don't, we keep segregating into smaller groups saying, I don't like you, get off my Facebook page. And never call me again. That forwards nothing but smaller little groups of people who, again, ostracize others and themselves and separate things to the point that I had to write this. Different thoughts between some friends mean sometimes that a friendship ends. I hope that's not our case. I can't replace your space. You're more important than opinion, and neither of us need claim dominion. What good would it ever do if I'd lose the friend in you? We are work in progress, never ending. There's no attacks. There's no defending. No quarrels. And let's have no fuss. Because we may both rub off on us. So that doesn't hurt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But those are uh, the things that uh, that I do. It's a it's a lovely approach in terms of that that use of something that has some some comedy and obviously poignancy at the same time, as you're saying, in a way to bring people together. Yeah. You know? And that's that's not everybody's comedy. But, True. But that that is so True. needed. Is how can how can we listen and learn? And then what do we do when we're on different sides? And you know, I got into this conversation recently as an example where I have a a, a friend who is um, African American and posted something, um, a piece. I can't remember where it was from, that, that was sort of categorizing white women at different levels of racism. And, and but um, he did that as an educational thing. Um, and, and he said in his intro to it, and my friend and mentor, Marsha Epstein, would say, everybody is racist. And, and so I, I um, put a comment that said, you know, to, to clarify what Tori said, um, my my way of understanding racism is that those of us with light skin, like me, are granted privileges that we don't have to ask for, and by virtue of benefiting from that privilege, that we all are racist. I believe well, we are all light skinned people, racist to a certain degree. Um, and that does not excuse it, that does not encourage it, but that is something that we need to be aware of. I need to be aware of making space for somebody with dark skin because I might be given an opportunity 
just because of my lighter skin, things like that. So, so, and then, and then one of Tori's friends said, well, but I don't, I think that's a, that's a vile way to define racism. And, and I had said, you know, you don't have to agree. Exactly. But, but I also know that, that there are people who I, I would say people who are friends of friends. I don't have any people that I define as friends who are really not willing to have these kinds of conversations, you know? And so, so I, I don't know how I would deal with that. You know, that if somebody just flat out said that I'm wrong, my father was an electrical engineer. My father, um, was a first-generation American, uh, went to school at Berkeley, stayed in California, did lots of hard work, and was totally opposed to affirmative action and things like that. You know, his his belief was, well, if you can't, if you don't have the grades to get into school, you shouldn't go, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, but that, I mean, people grew up in different situations. They don't have the same opportunities. They may grow up someplace where the education system is really poor, so they may not have had that ability to perform well on standardized tests and sure. all those things. But he's like, no, it doesn't matter, you know. It's like, okay. Yep. <laughs> and, and therein lies the, the evolution of thought of people as to how you do this, how do we fix things, where does it go, do we have the right kind of approaches to making sure that we enact the golden rule. I mean, for me, I understand what you're saying exactly. But for me, I'm, I'm saying, you know, and I volunteer, and this is no bit of heroism, but I was in a class one time when uh, the instructor w- had read Black Like Me to us. We were talking about racial situations. And in Kansas City, we had a race riot. No, we didn't. James Brown came the Friday after Thanksgiving, and he had a concert. And some people got drunk and threw bottles and stuff. But everybody wanted to say, we're as important as the other cities because we had a race riot. Hold the phone on this. Mm-hmm. When we talked to this instructor and said, so what can be done to remedy what we're seeing on TV in other big cities, or even what happened at the James Brown, James Brown concert, he said, you must change the color of your skin or they must change theirs. Well, I got news for you. That ain't happening. But about the same time, Martin Luther King saying, let's judge on character. Let's judge on what you what you bring to the table because the color of your skin, while essential and pride for our nationalities, not bring or, or um, you know customs, etc. And I'm all about that. We should look at the character of each other. And I said, okay, if we do that, then what? And he said, I don't know. I'll talk to you tomorrow. The next day, he came in with opportunities for us to volunteer in the inner city. I and a bunch of kids did that with little uh, underprivileged black children, white children, socioeconomically damaged children. And you learn so much about what is the common fabric of their humanity. And at this juncture, look past color until they become judged on color, right. penalized that's, on color. That's the key part. Yeah. yeah. You're judging, you're going to penalize them, cut it out. Yeah. You'll die when you hear this. The greatest lecture I ever had on race, this type of tradition. Went in the service and they said, you're one of the older guys here and you've had some college. We're going to try something experimental with you. I said, I had a year at Johnson, two years at Johnson County Community College. They said, you're one of the older guys. I said, I'm 19 for crying out loud. We're going to put you in an all black company. And I said, okay, because I had no problem. You know, I'll just see how that goes. 
Okay. Well, when I was in the old block company, where the U.S. Gov called Latinos Chicanos. Okay. And that's on the, the 201 form. So we had to fill out. It's like, you're either Anglo, Negroid, or Chicano. Okay. So I'm helping with the forms there as we all do this stuff. And even the Asian kids that were there were Chicanos. Mr. Yen, you're a Chicano. They had no idea what the heck they were doing. But they put us all in a giant room, and I was one of the few white guys, and they put a giant drop screen that came down. And we had an hour in-your-face lecture about respect with African-Americans. Black, he said, I am black. Okay. From Bill Cosby. And at that point, yes, ma'am. Suffice to say, it was a long time ago. Okay. Okay. A long time ago. But he's talking about respect. And it translated, before he went bug nuts with the other stuff, respect and look, appreciate traditions and, and nationalities, but look for the commonality and be one people. And whatever shade of brown you are, whether you're uh, um, Norse or whether you're one of the black guys I was in service with, and there was no color back then but OD green, and you are so black, you almost look purple. We all fall in that color value scale. I see it as an artist does. And, and I don't think that I've ever seen anything so divisive there as what I saw 20 years later on MTV when the N-word came back. I'm thinking, what? As part of pop culture and the, the disrespect for all women and the disrespect for black women in a lot of the videos I saw. Scientifically, did I do a poll? No, I'm just seeing what came through in the media. I thought, how dare you, media, so much of you, unlearn what we've learned and we're trying to pass on to our kids. So, no, I understand the things you're saying. I got off on a tangent there, but yeah, I, I, uh, I get it. And, and, like I told you, I was, was a talker. Bill didn't I? Cosby, that was giving us. Like, but but and he was in your. They did a close up shot from his brow to his chin. And he uh-huh. said, "I am not a Negro. I am black. I." And this was to help as the teaching tool. Yeah. Well, suffice to say, all the years later, when you see what really happened, you think, "Well, okay, it's a bit of a hypocrisy later in your life." But yeah. anyway. We try to learn to bring more of us together through every aspect of what we're doing as a community, including popular culture. Uh-huh. Popular culture is important. I mean, and, and that's our teacher. Art is, is important. I mean, you know, I think that sometimes messages get slipped in that people weren't expecting, and they hear it in a different way. You know, you you talked a little bit ago about some. You know, you didn't say it in this way, but sometimes. Sometimes we don't really want to hear what somebody else has to say, yeah. you know, and so we're waiting them out, but we're ready to launch in with what we believe and we don't really care what they believe. Right. You know, and, and so sometimes art pieces, whether it's poetry or painting or dance or whatever, can get you to think about something in a new way that you maybe hadn't planned to, but it slipped in there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I, I uh, um, so horribly sick of the 24 hour news uh, cycle and of all the spinning and stories and, and just meanness and lack of objectivity. That's why I go out in the morning, and watch the sun come up with my little doggy on my lap, having my coffee. But I did hear a commentator say one thing and I'm going to grab that and say it right here. I can't hear you if you hate me. And I thought this extremely impressive. 
So I'll do whatever I can do to listen to you. But, but let's pull the hate out and let me have a chance to consider you, think about your path, and then respond. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it might just be swell. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you came from this little kid who adored Superman. Yes, you can tell right all now. Of this. You see my little watch I've got there with a the little oh, Superman. Ah, sweet. And then your viewers at home, if they could see this, and of course they can't. <laughs> just uh, always been a part of me. Um, I did mention the movie uh, Hollywoodland. Uh -huh. That's Ben Affleck played George Reeves about this this tale, and I quite fortunately was in uh, L.A. and I saw a pre-screening, a really rough cut of that years ago. And I got to go to a party in Malibu. Me, the guy from Shawnee, uh -huh. and I'm there talking to some pretty good, uh, cool people on this rooftop party in Malibu, and I meet Loretta Swift from Mesh. She said, I saw you there at the movie. And she said, I was a big fan of George Reeves. And I'm thinking, oh, Loretta Swift, holy smoke. What brings you here? And what is your interest? And I told her the story that I told you. When I finished, she kissed me. When Loretta Swift kisses you on the cheek, of course, when Loretta Swift kisses you on the cheek, she kisses you all because it's a big kiss that you get here on that. <laughs> and I said, that was very kind. What was that for? And she said, dear boy, you're still drawing this stuff and wearing these watches. Yeah, and she said, you don't realize that you're still in therapy. And I thought, <laughs> I think that woman is right. So I dropped my little carrot and the cheese dip and walked away for a minute. And I thought, hmm, but I think that uh, that's quite truthful. That's, that is the genesis of all my stuff that I'm doing. Well, every artist who I've really enjoyed talking to has that that awareness and has you know it often comes out directly that the process of creating art is very helpful personally um the process of sharing it publicly brings it into that whole other realm where there is also that ability to interact sometimes with the audience sometimes you know we don't some situations writing you may not see you won't see all of the audience of your work right but there's that connection thing that happens and that identity and that relief for those people who get exposed right. to that art. And, and to me, that's that's why I focus, as I say, on the intersection of art and mental health. I believe so. I absolutely, because it's expression. And that is more significant expression for some than if they were tried their darndest to be the best speech maker or the best writer or whatever. Mm -hmm. It comes out in different ways. And that's all the way back to hieroglyphs, you know, that's how we learn this stuff. So I totally agree. That's that's why I enjoy observing it, learning from it, and then doing it too. Uh-huh. So you were at the Uptown Arts Bar on yes. Monday, September 11th. Is that are there places in Kansas City or elsewhere that people are likely to be able to hear you sharing some? I'll go just about any place because <laughs> I really like doing this. Uh -huh. Um Uptown Arts Bar, I've been there a couple of times. I've done my own two-hour show. Maria has been magnificent in, in uh, helping me connect. As you know, that's how I learned about you and some others, too. And I was on Art Speak. I had my own two-hour show with her, but I brought some other vocal talent with me, just friends of mine. They're not pros, but they're dear friends, because I don't want to listen to me for two hours. <laughs> There's some musical stuff in the background there, too, and it worked well. I'm looking, I've been at Prospero's, I'd like to go back, but really I go any place that anyone wants to hear these stories, 
and I can take the ones that are more appropriate for whatever subject matter, children's stuff, uh-huh. perhaps more controversial, more uh, adult stuff. I wrote one, what was it, yesterday, it just came to me, and it's a bit contemporary about us and the internet. In my workaday world, when I was doing ad trafficking and all this kind of digital doodah, I wrote one about that too that speaks that language also and and where language is now gone and we use acronyms and numbers we figure like you get that don't you well no not really i, I don't know yeah. so uh wherever these things can go and every artist that creates doesn't necessarily create to shove it under the bed they want to bring it out they want to share it if you get it all right god bless if you don't that's okay let's be friends okay uh-huh. And you go on and see if there's an audience that wants to uh, uh, enjoy this. When I taught at the Art Institute, I taught that what we do is to educate, entertain, and enlighten with emotion. Those are the four E's right there, three or four, if you're counting. Therein lies the guide for what successful dispensation of uh, creative is, I think. What did you teach? Can I say arts? It, no, what? Oh, okay. Um, I started to say it real fast. I said, blah, 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 blah. I taught cartooning, sequential storytelling, and storyboarding. So I would have my adult class for three hours on Monday night. I would have a youth class. Those are kids like from 9 to 12 on Saturdays for a couple of hours. I taught there. I taught at the Westport School of Art. And I taught one season at the Shining Mission School District gifted class. But at the Kansas City Art Institute, I would have students from 16 to 70 in a big class. Ah. It's just great. And some of them had the greatest time with their hobby. Some of them went to work in the business. Uh-huh. Some of them uh, uh, appreciated the genre so much more. But to know that, I won't name names, Bill Unels, the guy in my class, is now the um, political cartoonist. And he has been for probably 10 or 15 years at the Kansas City Star, I think in the business section. Uh-huh. Okay, one of my voice helpers and my dear dear friends uh julia jackson julia fields jackson left went out to california and studied ended up working for disney for a while came back got married ned's kids she does voice stuff with me now other people publish their own books their own comic books and that's the greatest gratification that an instructor can have Mm -hmm. uh, ever so that was so much fun Mm -hmm. i give individual lessons right now should there be people that want to do things Oh, in cartooning or comic books and try to help them get work. Mm-hmm. So cool. Yeah, it's neat. So you're doing a lot. You've always done a lot. And, and I'm still, how do I sit still? Well, I'm still interested in, in how people can, can hear you, can meet you. Like if there, do you have any things coming up soon? Um, or you've, you've, you've thrown out that invitation, you know, that right. you'd be delighted. To- Absolutely. So if anybody wants to reach me, they can go to, Rick Stacy, and it's S T A S I, it's Italian spelling, rickstacy.com. Uh, and that's a placard for the books and the CDs. I'm not concerned about sales, but I am concerned about connecting. So you can reach me there mm-hmm. in email form. And if you want me to come out, I would love to. On a big scale, people say, well, What's your admission? Well, the thing I ever do is try to get food for harvesters because it's tangible. I can box it up, I can take it over. I'm not in this to try to find a revenue stream. Not that I'm so noble, but I'm really not in this for revenue stream. Mm-hmm. I believe at Kansas City Comic Con, we're going to do some 
KKFI. And I believe that I'll be with Maria at a remote. Okay. This is in discussion stages for the last couple of months. And I'll do some things there because I said to the guys, I love doing comics. I've done them here for years and years. I want to do some of this stuff. And they were agreeable. So I'm open to... When is uh, that? That is the second weekend of November for three days in Kansas City. Look for Kansas City Comic Con and check out all the fun pop culture stuff that will be there. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I'm as close as a phone call. I'm a quick trip at my Batmobile and off we go. <laughs> I can imagine so many different places, sets of people where different, with this range of, you know, you could teach art. You could talk some about the history of comedy, which is really interesting and helpful for people who want to perform comedy to know more about the roots, the things that you've experienced firsthand, the Steve Allen story and people. Oh my, yeah. 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 I have a nephew that I've known since he was born, of course, <laughs> and he does stand up now and he's writing uh, uh, sitcom s- scripts for a screenplay. And his uh, girlfriend is doing the same thing with him. They're in their mid-20s. So he's absorbed all this kind of craziness. So I walked out of Uptown Arts Bar the other evening, and they walk in saying, Uncle Rick. And it's like, hi, go do your thing now. Uh So that richness of history and tradition that takes us where we are today for comical conversations, even controversial, you can tell I love alliteration, Uh, um, makes this so essential to us all as a society. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting to me, like I said at the beginning, I, I think laughter is essential for everybody. And and I, I mentioned John Schickart, who's in Kansas City and does uh, mental health advocacy with an emphasis on humor as a life-saving part of mm-hmm. you know, what we need to do. And he shares some personal stories that, that demonstrate that and he encourages that. And you know, I think about these things and that, that we need more opportunities to be exposed and kind of open ourselves up sometimes. And, yes. and there, yeah, I could just love to, to be able to say to people, well, you can go here and here, Rick. You can, you know, so, yeah. so we need to set up. If any places would like to have me make the trip up here to Pedic Bar Logistics, I'd be uh, more than happy to have a road trip. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Very cool. Very cool. And it sounded from at the beginning when you were talking about sort of topics, themes, they just come to you when they come to you. As yes, opposed true. to I'm trying to put together a set of stories about X or Y. Absolutely. I do not do that because for me, mm-hmm. it lacks the energy and spontaneity of making coffee at 530 in the morning, let my little dog out and thinking, guess what? I have 2,000 friends on FB. <laughs> But right now, I really just wish I had one here yeah. for me. You know, yeah. I did a whole piece about that. Yeah. And a lot of us are lonely and we won't own up to it for yeah. whatever reason. So, but they just, just absolutely come to me. Uh, I had a friend of mine who's an author. She lives up here, too. Um, who said, all you do is take little words and do plays on words. And it's like, absolutely. That's what I do. So I love that. I love wordplay. I love humor that isn't demeaning other people and there's too much unfortunate that I read a piece recently through this this place called the Greater Good Science Center, which is part of UC Berkeley. And it was actually a piece in some sense criticizing comedians because of the volume of comedy that becomes divisive. 
And so, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of, I am on the fence about that because I think sometimes humor is how we get people to at least hear something that they didn't want to hear that needs to be said, you know? Um, yet I, I, my, my belief is that the more we can connect, the better. So it's, so there's this, you know, it's a, a lot of things in life of there's this and there's this, and they don't look like they go together. But yeah. that's real life. <laughs> but, it doesn't, but it doesn't have to be that forever or that forever. There can be an intermingling of us so that you can do just that. Here's my lesson. I'm going to school all you all on this. However, chicken crossed the road and a fireman came in. And you can do those things together so that you, you don't become boxed into just being a one-trick pony. Because uh -huh. life isn't a one-trick pony at all. Right, so. right. And we're down to the last few minutes. Okay. And I want to throw that to you if you like to share a certain story. I, I think I really would like to, yeah. if, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Um, a lot of stuff I do is very funny and, and cute and plays on words as we've talked about. But this, this came to me one day, and on my CD, Kathy Garver, who was sissy on Family Affair, one of my greatest, closest friends in the world since I met her out in LA years ago were like this. Uh -huh. She recorded it for me. But uh, this is called Style versus Substance. Style versus Substance. Substance versus Style. Sometimes I wish you'd stay with me a while. They say it's not the quantity, but quality of time, and I'd like your both, if you don't mind. Time seems so hard to find. We talk about the olden days and ones that got away. We'd share a few sad memories of who's not here today and laugh and cry. There's, there's something in your eye. And maybe we both die just a little. But you have a busy, busy life with post-it notes all over. Can't stay for another cup of tea or maybe one more Russell Stover. I see so much of you from behind. Waving goodbye, just waving goodbye, looking up over your shoulder at nothing and at no one. Down the walk and out the gate. But I'll stay here and wait and wait for you. See you soon. I'll give you a call. Got to run now. Got to run. Yeah, I guess you do. Got to run. Time goes by and time marches on. It won't be long until I'm gone. I'll shimmer and fade, but you won't see. You often have your back to me, saying goodbye, waving goodbye. Style versus substance. Substance versus style. Sometimes I wish you'd stay with me a while. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. That's beautiful. Thank An you. important reminder, you know. And, and as you share that, I think about a dear friend of mine and the story that's just like that. Um, Jamie and Tom Sunjack died of suicide. Oh, great said, Scott. Said, anytime you need something, just let me know. Right. Their neighbor who they've been friends with, their kids have been friends. Yeah. Jamie realizes as the year goes on after Jack's death, that neighbor drives directly into the garage. The door goes up, she goes in that house, and there's never any. Until finally it's Jamie, the mom, who says, you know, every time you see me, you disappear. You know? and, and it's like, don't do that. Exactly. And that's unfortunately, that's a universal tale that too many have uh, uh, had to experience. So, yeah. yeah. So be kind. 
Yes. <laughs> be kind and be nice. The best yes. advice I've ever got. Yes. Mister, be nice. It's like, you're right. It's so. <laughs> a very good thing. Thank you so oh, much. Thank Stacey. you so much for having me. It's been a delight. And listeners, find him through his name, Rick Stacy S-T-A-S-I. Um, and if you have something coming up, you know of a venue, you want to hear this guy, make it happen. Yeah. This is lovely, important. I'll go there. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much. And so long to our listeners.